This week, it's a bit of back to the future for the shipping industry. It's one of the world's biggest global polluters, and to tackle that, it's turning to, well, sales. Remember them? Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Back in the saddle after a week away in the heat of the Italian capital, tanned, pasta stuffed and back to reality. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Share the good word about the podcast and all that stuff. And I should now say, as I've always wanted to say this, you are now listening to the multiple-time award-nominated podcast, Let Me Explain. We were nominated this week for Podcast of the Year at the Imro National Radio Awards. Uh, specifically, if you want to listen to the uh, particular episode we entered, it was the one on Loftus Hall, our Halloween special, which you can scroll back and listen to. Now, last year, we came away with bronze, so I'm hoping we can go a little bit higher again at the ceremony in Kilkenny later on this year. And I should say that Lachlan Hart, of the end of this podcast fame, where you'll hear me every week saying Lachlan Hart on sound production, has three nominated entries. Has three nominated entries. In the podcast of the year category, let me explain and those two much inferior podcasts inside the crime with that Frank Graney fella and the Good Friday Agreement anniversary podcast, as I remember it, with some guy called Bertie Hurt. Never, never heard of him. Oh, only joke. The two of those are actually very, very good, mostly because Lachlan makes us all sound good. Uh, but how endeavour, delighted with that nomination and I'll have to go and find the dancing shoes that were dumped somewhere after last year's ceremony and haven't really been seen since. But back to business for today, because this week a really interesting episode as we look at a company which is fitting modern sails to massive cargo vessels in order to make them more carbon efficient. And even the starting of this company has a bit of an interesting tale to it. It is all about technology. The boats, the class of boat has changed a lot in those years. So in 2010 was the first time there was a big shift in the class of boat up until then. I think it'd been pretty much the same class of boat for about 25 years. So this is a guy called Ben Ainsley, and you you might have heard of him, you might know him better, as Sir Ben Ainsley. He's the most successful sailor in Olympic history, winning medals at five straight games and four consecutive golds from 2000 through 2012. And in 2016, he started a new company with this guy. This could be the start of a fantastic season where we win lots of races, we win championships, but it could also be a very difficult year. Who knows, you know, until you get into the season, uh, you can't with any confidence predict how it's going to go. That's Martin Whitmarsh. Now, he spent 25 years with the McLaren Formula One team, including roles as chief executive before leading Britain's America's Cup sailing team, and now has a leading role with Aston Martin's Formula One team. So they both work together on the America's Cup, which is the oldest trophy in international sports, dating back to 1851. And it's hugely technology-focused. It was actually a brief government attempt to bring it to Cork before the coalition decided it would actually be too expensive for us to hold the America's Cup But working on that race is where these two met, and they decided that the cutting-edge tech going into these racing boats, well, they could actually have other applications. Our background has been in the marine world and and racing yachts, but actually seeing the opportunity and wanting to do something a bit more meaningful, certainly in terms of the environment. America's Cup is the Formula One of yacht racing. It's where technology is being developed to find performance. People think about racing as pursuit of performance, but actually performance is achieved 
by getting some real efficiency. And it's that efficiency is what we think we can now move from a racing environment into a commercial marine opportunity. So that's where bar technologies was set up and its big revolution for the maritime industry, sales. Hmm. But these are not exactly Pirates of the Caribbean, Jack Sparrow, jumping from the yard arm sort of sails. Instead, they're designed to work on massive cargo ships and come at a suitable size to do so. Barr is calling them wind wings. Move over, Beth Midler. Think about about 40% the length of a Premier League football pitch, but, you know, upwards, heading up into the sky. And one major international shipping company has decided to test them out on its cargo ships. Cargill, which has an operation in Nace, has about 600 vessels across the world, and it's fitting wind wings on a ship called the Pixis Ocean, owned by the Mitsubishi Corporation. Here's Jan Dielman, president of Cargill's ocean transformation business. What is really interesting about this project, I think, is, is really bringing together the best of professional racing, because that's what BAR yeah. is, is coming from, and applying those learnings into a hardcore industry like shipping and very industrial use. So what we're doing here with these wind wings, and, and they're massive, right? They're close yeah. to 40 meters tall, so it's not small things that you're seeing on these pictures here. We think that if you optimize a ship and you have three of them on board, you can save up to 30% of emissions, and that is uh, substantial. So obviously that's a big saving, not only for the planet, but potentially for the companies running this too, if they can save that much money on fuel. Here's John Cooper. He's the CEO of Bar and another former member of the McLaren team. For every one tonne of heavy marine oil that you burn at sea as a fuel, you're creating three tonnes of CO2, which is a seriously big problem. The wing is going to be saving approximately one to one and a half tonnes of fuel per day per wing. And because these vessels are huge, actually the drag of that vessel is so massive that the extra drag of the wing that you're designing is nothing in comparison. So we designed our wing in a very different way and just looked for huge lift. So to describe how they look, these sails can lay totally flat on the deck of the ship when they're in port or if they need to go under a bridge or something, for example. Then they raise up typically to one side of the ship and can be adjusted to the wind. There's a central wing about 10 metres across and then two smaller, more adjustable wings about five metres each one on either side. It doesn't actually look massively dissimilar to the wing of the plane, you know, when you're sitting over it and you can see those little bits at the back that adjust when you're landing that operate sort of like a speed brake. It's a similar enough thing. They're made from the same material as wind turbines for durability, and while they can't propel a ship particularly fast or far on their own, combined with engines, they can significantly make it more fuel efficient. The Pixis Ocean's maiden voyage is from Singapore to Brazil, and all the companies involved, and there's quite a lot of them, including the European Commission, which has funded one of the wings, will be taking note of how these wind wings perform. Another big benefit is they're automated, so there doesn't actually have to be a huge amount of training for existing crews of ships across the world. Or, you know, they don't have to do the calculations sailing ships, for example, need to make about prevailing winds, uh, how they're going to get where they're going, all that sort of stuff. It, it largely does its own thing and takes advantage of whatever the wind is at the time. So does that mean, you know, 
if this were widely adopted, the shipping lanes and routes would have to change to take more account of the wind, as they did hundreds of years ago. Then it was essential, for the, and for the last, you know, hundred years or so, hasn't been that big of an issue because they haven't been taking advantage of the wind all that much. Here's Jan Dielman from Cargill again. Now, what, we, what we're trying to do here is trying to somehow combine the best of two worlds, right? Mm. So we're, we're trying to use wind, uh, but we also still want to make sure we can run just-in-time supply chains, which are also a very important tool to cut carbon emissions. So this is really wind-assisted propulsion, and it's not just sailing on wind. Um, I do think that some of the things that we used to, sailing a ship the shortest way from A to B, is something that's going to get challenged a little bit, because if we can find more wind yep. on a different route, I can clearly see that we're going to make some changes. So how practical is it for this to actually roll out to shipping fleets across the world? John Cooper of Bar is bullish. He believes that half of all new order ships will have some kind of wind wings or sails by 2025, just two years away. But there is also the cost factor to consider. It's quite expensive to retrofit existing ships with these wings, as Jan Dielman admitted in an interview with Bloomberg. Yeah, unfortunately, innovation is uh, is never cheap, right? And it's the same for, for this one, I would say. Uh, the way we look at it is, is much more in, in payback terms. Um, so if you look at payback, you have your capex, and, and over time that should come down as production uh, gets gets more upgraded as, as we go. Uh, but the second part, and a very impo- important part, is the fuel actually that you're saving. So today with a $500 fuel, the, the paybacks are not great. You're probably talking seven to, to 10 years. Uh, but if you put yourself in a scenario here, go going forward where the industry will have to go to zero carbon fuels like ammonia or or methanol, which are three or four times more expensive, your payback is going to be an awful lot better going forward. And and that's why it's so important already to do these pilots right here, right now. So we're ready for that going forward. If you built this into the design of a vessel, would the savings be greater? At the moment you're retrofitting, but if if, if new ships coming out of their cradles had this kind of technology already integrated, would the cost be lower and would the effect be greater? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the, the ship that we're having is a conventional ship, so it's not built for yeah. wind. So that is one. Uh, also, the installation is a lot easier on new builds. Yeah. Uh, so you have to put less steel in, and less steel also means you can put in more cargo over time as well. Yeah. So when you really optimize this, you can really have a game changer here uh, at hand. So having a seven to eight year payback time on cargo ships that may only have a 20 to 30 year lifespan might not be that attractive for a whole lot of companies. It'd be like fitting solar panels on the roof of a house that you don't plan to stay in forever. You might get the payback, but you might not. And that will color how much risk and expense that you're willing to take on. There's also the opportunity cost too of having some of your ships in dry dock while they're getting retrofitted with these things. My granddad used to work the ships for Bell Lions for years and my uncle's a fisherman and it's one thing I can say with confidence if you're not out you're not making money these sales also aren't going to work for all kinds of cargo ships the ones they're trialling it on the ones that cargo use a lot have big holes under the deck for grain or whatever else that they're putting in there but many of the ships that you'll see coming into Dublin and other ports across the world will have big containers stacked on the decks instead. In fact, I'd almost bet that is the image that you had ingrained into your head. And for many of those, the sales might interfere with loading and unloading those cargo containers. So, you know, again, time is money. Are you going to do that? Will it work for all of them? Probably not. 
So this is by no means a panacea for emissions in the maritime trade. And in fairness, no one's presenting it at that. It will need to be accompanied by lower or no emission fuels. And they do tend to be more expensive. So if wind wings can shave that bill down a bit, it could be a good and promising thing for an industry that is responsible for up to 3% of global carbon emissions and which has had, up to now, fairly few answers for what to do about it. Thanks for listening to Let Me Explain, this week's episode produced and presented by myself, Sean Defoe, with John Kill, the editor, and the amazing multi-award-nominated Lachlan Hart on sound production. I'll chat to you next week. <laughs>